a woman who suffers from an alcohol addiction with a preference for gin and tonics, commutes by train to London daily to deceive her roommate. At one stop, she watches a beautiful couple and imagines their lives as perfect. One morning, the couple's image of perfection is ripped from her view when she sees a disturbing event. The woman, Rachel Watson. The book, The Girl on the Train. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! Hi readers, this is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Yeah, welcome back. Yeah, how are you doing, Kari? How was your break? It was great. I feel refreshed. What about you? Did you do anything interesting? Oh, I ordered a whole (laughs) desk. So that is like the most interesting part of my life. Is that what you're sitting at now, your new desk? No, no. I'm going to have to practice some um, levels and, you know, everything audio wise in order to record because it's in a different room now. Yeah, so I'm not ready to do oh, that. Oh, how professional of you. And thank you for the fig jam that you made and sent over to me. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, well, you're, <laughs> you're welcome. Awesome. It was delicious. I really it liked it. What yeah, did you have really it good. with? I just had it with little rice crackers. Okay. It All was right. good. I had All like right, some good. hummus rice crackers in your um fig jam. It was great. Thank you. Oh, cool. Um, Next time I'm going to try making it with uh, monk fruit. Because mm-hmm. that, that's supposed to be better than actual sugar. So, yeah. Anyway. You know what I can't stop thinking about? <laughs> what? Even though it's been weeks now. That um, Brandy Monica versus, because I think it taught me something about myself. Uh-oh. I think I'm a poor judge of character. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I go I with whatever you show that. me. So, you believe that? <laughs> believe that because i think i was telling you some stuff and i told someone else some stuff and they were like huh that's what you got out of that i didn't realize people were being shady when they were being shady and i just (laughs) felt like uh, my view of one person initially was like oh she is so unprofessional how come she don't sing none of the other girls songs why is she dressed like a suitcase but actually what happened was <laughs> the other girl was like being passive aggressive and shady. And looking back, yes, it's a crazy shady thing to say when someone plays their new music for you. Are we on break? Oh, is this old? That's crazy shady. Or to tell somebody, yeah, when I couldn't um, be out there like I wanted to, you really you were, held it down. You really? <laughs> what? She did I don't say work that. for you. Yeah, that was a but weird comment to make. That so, that was a yeah. weird comment to make. Yeah. I just keep thinking, man, I don't really be paying attention. I got to pay attention. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. She- Go ahead. You was going to say something. Let me pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to do was just move us into our next segment of society. Well, first, I just want to thank all the podcasts who had new episodes last week, who really held it down for us <laughs> while we were on break. <laughs> Y'all did y'all thing. Thank you. And we're back. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. (laughs) The heavy eye roll inserted here. (laughs) 
Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's jump into Society Says. This is a time when we share your comments with the rest of our lit society. Kari, is there a comment you thought particularly litty? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go to my favorite place, Apple Podcasts. And I have a comment here from Hannah H H D H F D H B. Hey, <laughs> Hannah. Hey, Hannah, girl. She I says read that one. Best- that was nice. Yeah, she says best book podcast. I listen to a lot of book podcasts, like an embarrassing number. And this one has quickly become my favorite. These two women have the perfect blend of book smarts. Ooh, we do. And humor. And I find myself smiling and laughing along with them every time. I also love the mix of books they read, including serious classics and more current popular fiction. Now I want to go buy their merch so they can keep up the good work. Thanks, ladies. No, thank you, Hannah. You go, yes, Glen Coco. Thank, thank you, you so mm-hmm. much. And thank you for supporting our um shop too. Uh Lit Society, what is it? LitSocietyPodshop.com. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you will find it on the internet, I think. Anyway, so thank you, Hannah. You made our day. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Alexis? <laughs> Were there any comments you thought particularly lit? So I decided to go look elsewhere for comments just so (laughs) make sure I'm including everybody. So I happen to go to our website because, you know, you can leave comments there. Yes, you can. (laughs) I found a comment from one of our favorite and loyal readers. Her name is May. (laughs) Do you know her? (laughs) That's my mama. And she comment on, commented on our review of Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers. That was released back in March. And she said, the stories were so familiar to what I grew up hearing and seeing. I really enjoyed the podcast. It brought back a lot of memories. I have to read this book. Thanks to you both. Oh, isn't that sweet? Well, thanks, Mama. Mm-hmm. Thank I asked you. if she, bu- she buys a lot of our candles and I go can you please leave a review for the candles to increase our product reviews and she goes yeah yeah sure and she goes to our website and, go- and writes I really love y'all candles <laughs> so my point is she don't know how to leave nothing but uh, comments on our website and we love her for it thank you for taking the time to do that mama absolutely thank you thank you very much so remember readers to have your comments shared message us on twitter instagram facebook or and we especially love this one leave us a review on apple Podcasts. okay (laughs) yeah do that thing Mm -hmm. now (laughs) let's move on each week we select the theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading This week's theme is signs of alcohol abuse and how to help. Now, let me start by saying I'm not a doctor, nor do I have any medical background. Mm -hmm. This is not medical advice. Okay. I looked this information up on the interwebs. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Disclaimer. Yeah. So let's get into it. I found an article on thelancet.com. It's called effect of COVID-19 lockdown on alcohol alcohol consumption in patients with pre-existing alcohol use disorder, or AUD. And what they describe, um, pretty much the situation that 
was created when we went into COVID lockdown. There were financial difficulties, social isolation, uncertainty about the future, and the redistribution of the health workforce and the disruption to clinical services. Those things contribute, could contribute to increased alcohol intake and a relapse under lockdown conditions. They did a population survey of 1,555 active drinkers in the UK. And that survey identified 21% of those that were surveyed increased alcohol consumption during the lockdown, while 35% reduced their alcohol intake. Now, that was early on. I want to say that was done in like June. But the true effect of the lockdown on alcohol intake is going to be unknown simply because we don't have enough data. And while the data, the initial data, they had a lot of other um, statistics, but while the initial data suggests that consumption was reduced, I recall here in Chicago that they had to start closing the liquor stores because they were, it was increased business. You know, it was like the only place you could really go. I think they were essential, right? Yeah, they they were deemed an essential um, business. And so while everything else was locked down, I mean, you might have to wait in line to go to the grocery store, but perhaps there are three liquor stores in your neighborhood and all of them open. Mm -hmm. So people were consuming like the government kind of went, uh oh, (laughs) right. Where all the gin go? Mm -hmm. And so they closed them early. They started closing them early, right? Mm -hmm. They started they started closing them early and not so much because um, where did Jen go? But because people were, con- they felt like people were congregating and that meant more people were getting Corona. So. Uh, oh, so it wasn't even about overconsumption of alcohol. It was just mm-hmm. about not social distancing. Right, 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 right. So this week's information I got from alcoholrehabguide.org. And it was an article called Warning Signs of Alcoholism, May 2020. So that article mentioned that mild alcohol abuse can be easily overlooked because what may seem a minor issue can turn dangerous over time. And the early warning signs should not be ignored. And they encourage seeking treatment sooner rather than later. Well, there's no exact formula for determining whether someone has an issue with alcohol abuse. The symptoms often co-occur. And so one symptom may snowball into another, which fuels additional problems down the road. Mm-hmm. Some, of, some of the most common symptoms of alcohol abuse are experiencing temporary blackouts or short-term memory loss exhibiting signs of irritability and extreme mood swings. Um, Another, making excuses for drinking, such as to relax, deal with stress, or feel normal. Choosing, another, choosing drinking over other responsibilities and obligations. Becoming isolated and distant from friends and family members. Drinking alone or in secrecy. Now, I must say that I always drink alone because I live alone. (laughs) That does not mean that I am an alcoholic. 
Okay. <laughs> oh, a hit dog will holler. Listen, <laughs> some of these, um, some of what you're describing, maybe we can only see in ourselves. And even the person we live with may not see it. So all of us have to be right. on guard. Are we drinking to relax? That's a big one. If yep. you're um, wound up at the end of the day, like most people, I mean, most people at the end of the day carry some stress. Do you then feel like, oh, I need a drink to Once make you, you start feel saying normal. I need a drink? Yeah. Yeah. Or to, just so to relax. Normal. I mean, that's mm-hmm. so innocent. Be careful. Be careful, because that could be the early sign that only you'll see and only you'll be able to um, stop where it's going. Yeah. Um, another indication is. um feeling hungover when you're not drinking and then changing appearance and group acquaintances you hang out with. So those are some of the common symptoms of alcohol abuse. Well, the but last no matter one, why are you my, changing? Why, why are you changing the group you hang out with? Cause you want to be with people who drink more. Possibly. I don't understand that one. Yeah. So okay. maybe you're hanging out in, in bars and those are your, um, your new close buddies versus hanging out with only your because they drink people. more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're not judging. Maybe you don't feel judged when you're around them. Yeah. Maybe your friend says something like, are you sure you want, you know, another glass? And then you're like, well, I just ain't gonna hang out with you no more. (laughs) That might, that might be it. Or you you start hiding your drinking from that person because now they're talking about it. Easy transition. Mm -hmm. So, but it did say that no matter how minor the drinking problem may seem, and this is a repeat, alcohol abuse symptoms should not be ignored. So here's a few ways to help. And again, there's no exact formula for dealing with someone, um, for supporting someone dealing with alcohol use disorder because everyone is different. So you got to provide the needs of the person. Here's a few tips for how to help. Attend a support group. Because it can damage the relationships um, with your friends, your family, and that leads to a wide range of emotions. These support groups can help you work through them. A support group can help you understand um, your loved one's condition and help empower you uh, to stay strong as you um, help them cope. It's also important to understand that recovery doesn't happen overnight. It takes lots of work. Next, show support without enabling. So. The article mentioned specifically giving the person money because any money you give that person could uh, lead to them purchasing alcohol or drugs. It said it's an easy transition. And then stop blaming yourselves. Stop blaming yourself. There are many causes and risk factors associated with alcohol um, use disorder, and it can developed aggressively. All right. The best way to help is to support them, not blame yourself. Also, don't wait until the person hits rock bottom before encouraging them to seek treatment. And finally, recognize you have the ability to make a difference. The more support your family member or friend receives, it gives them a greater chance for sobriety. Kari, do you have any thoughts or experiences with anybody with alcohol abuse disorder? But if you find yourself needing to relax, perhaps reward yourself, help yourself relax in other ways, whether that be investing in a tea assortment or taking a long bath at the end of the day or the end of the week. Look for other ways to unwind. If you do think that um, you are consuming more alcohol than you're comfortable with, 
then, you know, go a month, go a month or two without alcohol. And, you know, if that if that's an issue, then maybe there's an issue. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, that's it. That's my uneducated advice. Well, let's take a quick break before we get into the details surrounding this week's book, The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. Okay, let's do it. Say you are the brandy of this podcast. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) That might be true, but I'm gonna try to not be that. Okay, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Slow down. This is your friend. Okay. Okay. Can you give us some background on Paula Hawkins, please? Please. Sure, sure. Of course I can. So, um. Girl with a dragon tattoo, the good girl, pretty girls, boring girls, girls. (laughs) Why do so many modern books and shows have girl in the title? Well, two books particularly are to blame for the modern obsession with the girl. The first, Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. The second, The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins, the book we're covering today. Audience see women or woman as mysterious, dark, likely to die. (laughs) Girl means friendly, approachable, multifaceted. Also, the girl in a title or a book with that title usually lives, (laughs) unlike woman. Just a little footnote uh, people have found. So here we are. Like Dave Matthews, Paula Hawkins is a white Thanks. Like Dave Matthews, Paula Hawkins is a white African-American. Don't come for me, readers. Um, She was born in 1972 in what is now Zimbabwe. She moved to London. (laughs) American. Don't read too much into that. Oh, African, English, English, African. Yes. Thank you. Oh, I've taken this joke way too far. (laughs) I feel the offense. Um, She was born in 1972 in what is now Zimbabwe. Um, Then she moved to London at 17 years of age, attending school, attended school, doing a degree at Oxford and worked as a journalist for the Times. Um, She worked as a journalist, by the way, for like 15 years before writing fiction. Mm -hmm. And she started with romances, was like, "Uh -uh." and then um, The Girl on the Train. And that became her best selling novel. Anything you got on Paula? (laughs) (laughs) I do. I do. I do. I looked up a little bit of information. (laughs) I read that she'd been writing fiction off and on since she was a child. She just never showed it to anyone. And she says she has dozens of unfinished novels and stories on hard drives. She says some with as little as (laughs) uh, some with as little as I think she said 50 pages and as much as a a hundred thousand words, she said. Wow. Yeah. So that's a lot. And then um, in 2016, this book was the longest ever, 30 weeks on the UK hardcover charts. Oh, that's awesome. And then one other thing. So she talked about how this became um, girl. She said they before they gave our um, protagonist a name. They were calling her drunk girl, drunk girl, drunk girl, mm. drunk girl, drunk girl. So then when they tried to say woman on the train, title it woman on the train, it just didn't sound it didn't right. ring true. Right. Right. Yeah. So they switched it to girl on the train. 
Um, Because I think the working title was Drunk Girl. Um, I hate that. But she said (laughs) it. She said she'd never do that again because this girl is a woman and it just Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. So, yeah, Yeah. that's the little piece of information I found. Yeah. People have a lot of feelings about these girl titles for grown women. Yeah. It's like the infantile, the infant, the infantilization. It's like the infantilization. Am I saying that right? They're infantilizing. Of the adult woman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But so she doesn't completely agree with it. It just kind of worked out that way. Cool. All right. Excuse me. Kari, now let's have a brief Mm -hmm. synopsis. No spoilers. No spoilers. After losing her home, her husband's sobriety and career, one woman is on the brink of losing her mind. Her life is dwarfed into a series of train rides back and forth morning and evening until she sees something no one else sees from the window of her commute. What she's witnessed propels her into a series of events that will change her life and the lives of everyone she knows forever. Alexis, what were your first thoughts of Girl on a Train? Um, well, I enjoy thrillers, so I was excited to read it. I don't think we'd read one in a while. So how about you? Yeah, same. I mean, same. I was like, especially coming mm-hmm. off of a break, I was excited to get into something that would possibly be a mystery, a whodunit, a thriller. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I really mm-hmm. didn't know anything about the book that, except that it was a bestseller. I found it for $5 at a local bookstore and just picked it up. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's it. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> like, does that mean you ready to take this deep dive I'm into ready. the girl Let's on the get train? get into it. Get into mm-hmm. it. Uh, all right. Give us all the spoilers, okay? Spoiler alert. Okay, here we go. A deep dive into The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. Part one, choo-choos and booze-booze. Picture it. (laughs) It's the morning of Friday, July 5th, 2013. We're on a train from the suburbs to London. We're inside Rachel's head now. She's sitting on the train, staring at a pile of discarded clothes on the side of the tracks. Something about them fills her with sadness. She's sad about the clothes, y'all. Yeah. As the train passes <laughs> she already a row of, <laughs> as the train passes a row of houses, Rachel stares inside of the the windows of the homes and she creates a life in her mind for the people who live there. Her favorite are a couple she calls Jess and Jason, a good looking, shiny couple she observes every morning from inside of the train. <laughs> they seem shiny, to have it I love all that. together. Yeah, Jess and Jason, they might as well be Ken and Barbie, okay? In fact, they're perfect. Rachel has decided that Jason is a doctor with some organization, like, I don't know, Doctors Without Borders. And Jess is in marketing or she's an artist or something. Everything about them is ideal. They are who Rachel wants to be. Can I just add a footnote here? Y'all, we don't know what go on in people's lives. We do not. Even your friends, you don't know what go on in their doors. Don't be wanting to be people. Yeah, that's crazy. That's heavy. That's heavy. On the evening train ride home, Rachel sips gin and tonic from a can. There's a pack of them at her feet. She (laughs) dreads the weekend. 48 hours of time she has to fill with something, anything. Monday morning. Finally, Rachel is on the train as it passes by Jess and Jason's house. As always, she's staring at it, hoping to see them. She knows everything about their house, including the paint chips on the bathroom window. Mm -mm. (laughs) she doesn't see them 
this day and assumes they're out jogging together. (laughs) Rachel remembers when her and Tom used to jog together. She'd be speeding up and he'd be slowing down just so they could run together. On the evening train ride home, (laughs) Rachel sees on the evening train ride home, um, just just in Jason's home, quote unquote, just in Jason. Um, But she can't see them still, but she imagines them. Just is on the terrace relaxing and Jason is behind her with his hand reassuringly on her shoulders. Rachel can't remember the last time she enjoyed meaningful physical contact with another person. Mm. We learned that the house a few doors down from, quote unquote, Justin Jason, reminder, not their real names. There's another house down the street from Justin Jason. And that house used to belong to Rachel. It was her first home. She owned it with Tom. And at this point, we don't know really who Tom was or what his story is. But apparently Rachel and Tom owned a home on, along this um, row of houses. And every day when she passes it on the train, that house that she she once owned, she tries to look away. But often she just stares at it. One day she sees the woman of that house, the house she used to own, watering her rose bush under the woman's tight T-shirt protrudes her growing pregnant belly. And it makes Rachel want to cry. Rachel now today lives with an old acquaintance from college named Kathy. She actually rents a room in Kathy's home, more specifically. One night she overheard Kathy talking to Kathy's boyfriend, Damien, about Rachel. And so Kathy's telling Damien, you know, she's lonely. Don't you have any friends you can set her up with? And Damien goes, with Rachel? Sorry, Kathy, but I don't know anyone that desperate. Oh, he's a low Bye-bye. down. He's like, she ain't, a, she ain't even cute. <laughs> Not my friends. No, no. Oh, I no. ain't going to have my what? friends dropping to that level. They got right. standards and stuff. They got standards. <laughs> One day when she had the house to herself, Rachel decides to make it special by cooking steak. She buys two bottles of wine, drinks one, accidentally slices her hand and passes out in her room. Later that night, she, she hears Damien telling Kathy. She said, I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap until this pain get over. Yeah. And before morning comes, she hears Damien tell Kathy like, oh, this is disgusting. Your, your roommate, like she garbage. Kathy gingerly taps on Rachel's door and asks if she wouldn't mind cleaning up the kitchen. OK, there's um, blood everywhere. <laughs> it's, it's a mess. Blood mm. and meat and meat. Blood and raw meat that's stinking up the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> the next day on the train, Rachel tries to remember what she did last night when she passed out after she cleaned up the kitchen. Oh, no. She called Tom. Like five times, but he didn't answer. She left a message asking for him to call her back, she thinks. That's not too bad. She passes her old home on the train again and thinks she sees the woman of the house in the kitchen with a little girl in a chair next to her. Then a memory rushes to Rachel's mind. Last night she did call Tom, yes, and left a message, yes. But the message was desperate and obnoxious. She misses him. She needs him, she admitted. He calls her back on the train ride home. Stop calling me, Rach. Please. Oh, no. Stop calling me, Rachel. Please get help. Anna hates it when you call. Click. She picks Mm. at the cut on her hand and blood pours out. Two women on the train are staring at her with like disgust on their face. Well, she probably got her bottles with her, too. So it looks weird. Okay. Yeah. Now let's get into Megan's head. And throughout this book, um, there's one consistent timeline, but you're jumping in and out of three particular women's minds and looking at life from their point of view. And so now we're in Megan's head. Megan is Jess. Jess has a real name. It's Megan. 
And Jason, his name is Scott. (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) when Megan sits on the terrace with her um, head back and eyes closed, she pretends she's somewhere else like Italy or California. She feels like she's constantly being forced to reinvent herself in her life. Uh, When she was younger, her and her brother were supposed to travel Europe on motorcycles. Her brother, Ben, however, died in a car accident. Then she became a runaway, then a wife, then an art gallery owner. But the art gallery didn't have a strong enough following in the suburbs, so it closed. Now she's just kind of adrift. She took a nanny job for the couple down the street, Tom and Anna. But their child is annoying and they make her feel so weird. (laughs) So, you know, she quit. (laughs) She tells her husband that Tom was flirting with her, so he won't ask any questions. And he doesn't. Um, At Scott's direction, she sees a psychiatrist. He's cute, the psychiatrist that Megan is uh, seeing now at her husband's urge. Uh, He's cute, tall, dark, handsome, thin. The first day of the appointment, he made her wait half an hour and she was about to leave until he opened the door and she saw him. He made her feel calm almost instantly. Mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Back to Rachel. (laughs) Rachel's on the train staring at Jess and Jason's house. There's no Jess. There's, oh no, there is Jess, but no Jason. Instead of Jason, a tall man enters the room where Jess is. Rachel assumes he's family until Jess kisses him. How could she? How could she? Rachel thinks, how? Jason is perfect. Why are you in your house with another man that's not Jason? Mm. And then she recalls a familiar pain. That time she found out her husband was committing adultery. His laptop was open and she wanted to check his work schedule because she planned a four year anniversary trip just for the two of them. It was supposed to be a lovely reminder of the way things used to be for them. Lately, she'd been moody, depressed. But what she found on that laptop was a lustful message from her husband to a woman named Anna Boyd. Rachel is confident that if Jess was in front of her in this very moment, she'd spit in her face. Mm. Early that day, she received a call from Tom and let it go to voicemail. When she checked the message, it wasn't Tom. It was Anna. Anna wants her to stop calling at night because it wakes their baby. Her audacity. Mm, Rachel wants to call Anna back and remind her that everything she has from her home to her husband to her life is secondhand. Mm. But instead... She falls asleep drinking in the park and awakens with uh, ants crawling all over her body. She's a mess, you guys. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. She awakes the next day thinking about her old life, waking up early on Saturday morning, making eggs while Tom went to get the paper, getting a late lunch at the pub and then falling asleep entangled in one another on the couch. Now he probably wakes up with a little girl between him and his wife who is speaking a secret language only a parent could understand. She decides to go see Jason that evening. She clarifies her thought. She's only going to see Jason. She won't talk to him. It's risky because maybe Tom and Anna will see her, but she can't stop herself. Right. She drinks three long glasses of wine, gin and tonic and something else before she arrives at the station near Jess and Jason's home. A guy is looking at her on the platform. He's got reddish blonde hair. She awakes the next morning and has no idea what happened the night before. She's naked in bed, covered in bruises and bumps from her leg to her head. Her pea-soaked pants are downstairs along with her handbag and foam. Kathy, the owner of the house, is not at home, thank goodness. So she, like, Megan, goes downstairs 
looking like a bruised, naked, you know, scary lady. And um, while downstairs, she retrieves her things, trying to remember last night. And all of it just makes her throw up on the carpet. Yeah. So she has truly had a blackout. Yeah. And she thinks to herself, I'm going to clean all this up later. She leaves her things down there, including the vomit. She go with them later again. I know. And then she goes back upstairs. There's a voicemail from Tom. He's screaming. She did something last night that scared his wife. He's looking for Rachel, driving around, looking for her, leaving this voice message. And he's like, you know, I won't protect you anymore. Anna uh, basically almost called the police on you. And next time I'm going to let her. Mm. She listens to that message and passes out. She wakes up to Kathy, who just found vomit and pea-soaked knickers on her carpet. Oh, gross. (laughs) And you know, guess what Kathy do? She kicks her out. (laughs) Justified. But she ain't mean, so she's like, so justified. But she's like, you know what? You got like a week or two or something. She gave her a month. You ain't got to leave right now, but you do. A month? Yeah, she gave her a month. (laughs) She's like, you ain't got to leave exactly this moment, but you definitely have to leave. Um, and then, uh, there's another message from Tom after she gets this message from Kathy in person. There's a voicemail from Tom. He's sorry about screaming. He wants her to be happy. He wants her, um, he just wants to know that she made it home okay from last night. Um, she replied, she replays this message over and over again because there's kindness in her, his voice and it reminds them of when, it reminds her of when they were happy. Better she decides time. to email her mom. It's time to come home. We return to Megan's uh, mind. This is Jess. Megan has issues too, you guys, because she's a complex person. Mm. Uh, She's trained. She trained um, a girl from her Pilates class to cover for her while she sneaks around with her therapist. Scott doesn't seem to notice, or maybe he does. Sometimes he goes through her emails, whatever. Um, Also, she, she suffers from panic attacks. All of this is super fun for her, except that it's not, and she's miserable. Back to Rachel. Rachel has just been hit by a cab. Ironically, when she was sober as a judge, she says, she ran into traffic. A good looking doctor is tending to her new wounds and the old ones from the other night. Um, Why was she running into the street? Because Megan is missing. That's her name. It's not Jess. It was a news article fed to her by Yahoo based on her postal code or zip code. The article said that the woman Rachel knows to be Jess is named Megan and Megan is married to Scott and Megan is missing on the train that morning. Rachel could have sworn Scott looked at her from their terrace and smiled to her while she sat on the train. Megan was missing. Back to Megan. She seduces her therapist again. And when they wake up, he shoots her a look. It feels like a, like a warning. She goes home and wakes up in a panic. It feels like there's someone in her house. Back to Rachel. Stick with me, guys. It's okay, going to be a lot of back this, back I mean, it's that. a lot okay. of back and backing. <laughs> so back to Rachel. Kathy, the woman who owns the house in which she rents a room, who recently handed her an eviction no- notice for peeing <laughs> and um, pooping all over the carpet, <laughs> feels sorry for Rachel again. Okay. Everyone feels sorry for Rachel and for good reason. Do you like, feel sorry? As a reader, I feel, yeah, I feel sorry for Rachel. Yeah, I do. I'm like, get Um, it together, lady. (laughs) Yeah, because you're the brandy of this podcast. So uh, (laughs) Kathy calls Rachel and reassures her, you know what? You can stay. I was freaking out. (laughs) Kathy is too good. Listen, Rachel, I was freaking out. I'm so sorry. You can stay. You can stay as long as you'd like. Mm -hmm. Then she calls again, Kathy, and she informs Rachel that the police are here at the house and they like to talk to you. 
Days later, we find out Rachel has been lying to the police since their first visit. The night she blacked out, she's convinced she did something that explains Megan's disappearance and she's scared. What has she done? The police asked if she was drinking the night she went to Tom and Anna's home. Anna gave the police Megan's name as a person of interest. She says yes, but she wasn't drunk. Mm. Lie. Also, um, lies. she provides the name of her employer, the one who fired her months ago. <laughs> um, so everyone's going to soon find <laughs> that out. She has to come clean to the cops. And that's her intention when she visits the station the following day. So she's fed the police officers all these lies and she wants to clear it up. At the station, the police listen to her, but they tell her that Anna claims she broke into their house one day in the past and took their baby. It didn't happen like that, she retorts. She leaves in tears. She contemplates her situation. She never could get pregnant. Um, her and Tom had tried IVF, but it was stressful and unsuccessful. She felt overwhelmed and failure. And the speed in which he impregnated Anna confirmed her personal feelings of failure. She thought about the day um, she saw Tom holding his new baby girl on Facebook and it broke her Ooh, under yeah. the photo. He'd written. So this is what all the fuss is about. He says in the caption, I never knew love like this. Happiest day of my life. So he also he also um, when she was trying to get pregnant, he was being, you know, the husband and comforting. We we could be we are right without a baby. You, it could just be us. It's OK. He wasn't that interested in having a baby but he also but he also um just wanted to comfort his wife that's how i took it i took it as he was probably interested in having the baby but once he found out he couldn't his world wasn't destroyed Her, she seemed broken inside and yeah. she was taking personal responsibility for what they for couldn't everything. have as a couple mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then when he um, cheated on her and got this new wife pregnant so quickly, it really like broke her inside. Yeah. Um, so Rachel heads back to the police station and talks about the day she took the baby. She'd heard the baby crying from the street. So she walked. She don't even live in a neighborhood. Anyway, <laughs> she walked in through the back door and saw the child screaming while the mother sat nearby and did nothing. So Rachel the mom took the was baby. Sleeping. She said, you know what? So Rachel took the baby and walked to the garden. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she said okay. their mom was asleep. So. <laughs> and the police was like, um, I've got a theory. <laughs> Anna and Megan. Yeah, they look similar in the dark. So perhaps, you know, you refused to move on and you attacked Megan, believing that it was Anna. Rachel then tells them about Megan's lover. Da, da, da. I bet you didn't know. And so the female that. officer, <laughs> the female officer she's talking to is like, you're just making this up. And the male officer is like, not sure. Rachel tells them that she knows what she saw from the train. She returns home and reflects on the stories published so far about Megan because Megan's disappearance is becoming national news. She hops on another train, Rachel does, and looks up to find the face of the redheaded man she saw the night she can't really remember. He gets off the train and watches her as the train goes past. Megan has been missing for days now. Something about this case has given Rachel purpose again in her life. She hasn't had a drink in three days. So she celebrates by <clears throat> drinking when she has the home to herself alone. Like, yes, again. finally, I can have a drink. That three day Finally, old. back to the mm. bottom. Yeah. So she wakes up again and can't remember what she's done the night before. 
She looks through her emails and sees that the email she sent to Tom last night, she attacked his wife and daughter. She was like, forget you and your ugly wife and your really ugly baby. That baby ugly and y'all all <laughs> ugly. <laughs> Reading the message, she just re- cringes. That is clearly a rejected person. You just start attacking the person. You ugly, your mama the ugly. Baby. The baby. The baby ugly. Everybody ugly, okay? Uh, <laughs> y'all all just ugly. ugly. And then she starts thinking about what really happened the day she took the baby. She walked in. Yes, that part's true. Anna was asleep, though, on the couch, like downstairs. Rachel walked upstairs, took the baby, and ran to the fence behind the house toward the train. As she heard the train approaching, she turned around and saw Anna running toward her with her mouth open. Anna took her baby. Rachel fell in the yard. Tom rushed home and convinced Anna not to call the police. He drove Rachel home and told her that he'd kill her if she ever tried to harm his daughter. A few days ago, she'd found Scott's email, email address, and contacted him, Rachel did, after a second bottle of wine. (laughs) It's not funny, but she told him it was important that they talk. She sees he's finally replied and he agrees. Megan has been missing at this point for a week. Rachel is on a train on her way to speak with Scott in Megan's home. Now, for the first time, we go into Anna's mind. Anna is Tom's new wife. Anna? Mm -hmm. Oh, the story is thick now. Mm. (laughs) Anna is full of happiness. Happiness like fireworks fill her chest. Tom has prepared her breakfast and served her in bed. And her new baby is lying next to her. Then Tom gets in bed with them. And the baby Evie is in the middle of them both. Just as Rachel imagined it would be. Um, That's really how Anna's life is. How is it possible, Anna thinks, to be this happy? Everyone thought she was crazy for getting involved with a married man. And look, she's proved them all wrong. But then Rachel sends an email breaking their bliss. When will this woman go away? Mm -hmm. Later that evening, while Tom is giving Evie a bath and she's giggling, Anna's downstairs preparing dinner. She's put on some lingerie that Tom has bought for her and she's lit candles. Then she looks out the front window (laughs) across the street. And sees a woman. It's her. Ooh, that wretched woman. Back to Rachel. <laughs> Are you dizzy yet? Mm. Yep. Back to you feel intoxicated reading this book. Okay, mm-hmm. back to Rachel. As she enters the house of Scott and Megan, she recognizes it and dism- dis- and it disarms her how familiar their house is. The old Jess and Jason, actually Scott and Megan. Now Rachel is actually in these people's house. She how'd knows she the house there? inside how'd and she out. Get there? <laughs> Yeah, how she get there in life. She knows the house inside and out, but that doesn't mean she's been there, okay? It could be that it's just so much like her house, her and Tom's house Mm -hmm. that they used to have, but that's another story. She tells Scott what she came there to tell them, to tell him um, that she was on a train and saw his wife kissing a tall, darker man that wasn't him. He falls apart. Maybe she just ran off with someone, he says. Maybe this is actually a good thing because it means she's alive. She's all right. He really love her. He do. Scott gets a laptop and pulls up the therapist's website. Rachel is able to identify him. Yeah, that's him. That's the man I saw with your wife. Scott speaks with the police. He doesn't mention Rachel and he tells the police to check the psychiatrist. And eventually the psychiatrist is arrested. Back in Megan's mind, 
The last time she was with a psychiatrist, he talked about their future. Or I'm assuming, we're assuming she's like in, in bed with a psychiatrist. Absolutely. And he's talking about going away together. Um, mm-hmm. And now he's not even calling her. So she storms into the psychiatrist's office. She's demanding an explanation. She refuses to be rejected. She's not the one who gets rejected. She's the one who does the rejection, reje- rejecting usually. So she ain't gonna stand for this. The psychiatrist tells her, you know, I could lose my job. You need to calm down. And then she really starts screaming. He shakes her then hard. She bites his lip until she tastes his blood in her mouth. She's thinking of plotting her revenge on the way home. But she won't get revenge. It's all about Mm -hmm. win, win, win. You don't play with her because she going to win this one. Okay. But you know what? She she knows she's never going to get revenge on the psychiatrist because she actually likes him. She likes him too much too much she wants to run away with him back to Rachel (laughs) so we think yeah so back to Rachel Rachel gets the fantastic idea to visit Scott but fortunately his mom is there and politely shows Rachel out to the front porch (laughs) with a thank you now please go away push she sure was when Rachel steps onto Scott's front porch she sees them their eyes lock it's Tom and Anna Anna instinctively gasps and grabs her baby Rachel gives them both a smirk. Mm. Now, don't nobody want Anna's y'all mind. ugly people. <laughs> Uglies. And your ugly baby too. <laughs> so in Anna's mind, when she sees Rachel standing on that porch, she thinks she's hallucinating. Like, is this real? When they get home, she insinuates that Rachel is capable of anything and they should have told the police that they saw her the night Megan went missing. Tom, however, is incredulous. Part two. Anna, are you okay? Are you okay, Anna? So Anna, are you okay? Back to are Rachel. You okay? Anna, are you okay? <laughs> are you okay? Anna, you've been okay. Back to Rachel. <laughs> Megan has been missing for a week. The police still haven't pressed any charges on the therapist. Government name Kamal Abdik. Um, and eventually he has to be released with no evidence to charge him. Rachel drinks. Did you say government name? Yeah, that's his government name. <laughs> the next morning, the next morning, Rachel vaguely remembers calling Scott multiple, multiple times. He's called her back. She's got a missed call. She takes a shower. Yay! Finally! <laughs> Yeah, sits on the couch. So it's like she's preparing for a date. You know, she like does her hair, sits on the couch, you know, gets dressed, sits on the couch and calls him back. And, you know, she probably got her voice on like, hi, this is Rachel. <laughs> But Scott's response is not what she's expecting. He goes, you should have told me what you are. An alcoholic, mentally unstable. The phone then goes dead. This conversation leads to Rachel breaking down even further into depression and inertia sauce. She stops taking the train (laughs) daily, pretending to go to work or whatever she pretends to do on the train. And instead now she's just like lying in bed. Her bank account funds are insufficient for even a drink. She calls Tom and tries to piece together what happened the night Megan went missing. What happened to Rachel to give her the bruises and cut that she awoke with the next morning? Did Anna do something to her? Tom does not believe this. Rachel is accusing Anna of of what exactly? Rachel then tells Tom that she she knew Megan a little and that Megan was having an adulterous relationship with a therapist. He's intrigued, but his baby needs him and he gets off the phone. Rachel thinks the dagger in her heart has just been twisted when she hears that baby and Tom with that baby. The next day 
is Monday, July 29th, and she's back on the train. She runs into Scott, and because it's pouring outside, he's like, just come to my house and we can finish this conversation. It's actually been raining for like days. He's kinder this time. Um, He says him and Megan had a big fight. His last words to her weren't, you know, thoughtful. They weren't kind. They were hurtful. And they often fought about children, about having children, because she wasn't ready and he really wanted kids. But the day she left, they fought about something else. He doesn't disclose what that was. When Rachel gets home, her cover is blown. Kathy and Damien ran into her former co-worker and found out that Rachel hasn't had a job for months. She's been wasting money on train rides where she goes <laughs> to the city, where she goes to London and drinks. It goes to the library sometimes to see Alexis. When Rachel awakens the next day, she sees on the news that a young woman's body has been found. It's Ugh. believed to be Megan's. Ugh. But the constant rain makes it impossible to tell straight away. Flashback to Megan. She's humbly returning to Kamal, her therapist. She needs to tell him. She needs to tell someone. And she goes, you know, we've gotten so far in our conversations. Whatever has happened between us, just let me talk at least. Let me share my After story. her brother. Yeah, let me get this off my chest. After her brother died, she ran away and lived with a guy who made her happy. She was like 16 or 17 right, at the time. 17. And the guy was older. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the guy was grown. Okay. They did drugs and partied. And one day she found out she was pregnant. They completely ignored her growing baby, still doing drugs, still partying until the baby came. And surprisingly, it was easy to take care of this baby. She was perfect. Um, They did argue more, though. They were stressed out and all these fights and being a new mom left um, Megan feeling tired. She was exhausted all the time. And so one day she sat in a bath with the little baby girl on her chest and she accidentally fell asleep and the baby drowned. She's never told anyone. She never has even told Scott. Kamal, her therapist, holds her. Inappropriate, but. He holds her. But they're at his house now. now so she's telling this story as a friend uh, to her therapist. Inappropriate for other reasons then. <laughs> Not professional. Right, right, so, right, right. Okay. Rachel, back to Rachel. <laughs> Rachel heads back to Scott. Oh, Rachel, you're making me cringe. <laughs> and lets it slip that she was in the neighborhood the night Megan went missing. He like, what? Wait, what? He's exasperated with Rachel, but he really wants to know what happened to his wife. So he's like, look, I know you're a drunk, but stop focusing on yourself. Remember, try to remember what happened that night. Did you see something? You must have seen something, anything. The police are growing more and more suspicious of him because they always look at the husband when the wife goes missing and the press is even turning on him lately um, and, sin- or, and they're turning on like the police, which the press does. So um, they feel like the police department is incompetent. Look, you arrested this therapist and then you let him go. You obviously don't have any leads. You don't know what you're doing. So Scott is like pleading with Rachel to remember. But yeah. alas, she cannot. Rachel decides to make an appointment. It's time to get help. So she's going to make an appointment with a therapist. Yay. Yeah. Named Kamal. No. Yeah. So why? <laughs> why? She's just so cringeworthy. She is in yeah. all her actions. Just like. So she finds the therapist <laughs> exactly. she thinks killed Megan and makes an appointment with him. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it soon comes out in the news that Megan was indeed the woman found. And what's more, she was pregnant. But that's Preggers. not all. Someone tipped. Yeah, someone tipped the press off to the fact that Megan had been pregnant even before and killed that baby. And so the media is like, she was a baby killer. And this information causes Anna to explode at time in a wave of paranoia. Because remember, Megan at one time was their nanny. 
And she only quit because she was like sick of their annoying baby. Yeah. How could Tom have let that woman in the house with Evie? Why didn't Anna listen to her instincts about that woman? Scott comes over to Rachel's home and sleeps on her bed. Did y'all hear me? Scott came to Rachel's home <laughs> and he's like, I just need sanctuary because everywhere I go, there's media. And she's like, just fall asleep. This ain't even her home. She rents a room in this house. And we don't know, Scott. We don't know if maybe he the one who has something to do with it. But anyway, he sleep on um, Rachel's bed nothing. and he fine. And so Rachel just watching him sleep like, mm-hmm. this is how don't I'm going to Don't she also try to make a move on him too? And he like, oh, not right this now. Oh, get off me. Yes, she did. <laughs> she was like, oh, she like sat too me. close or something. <laughs> he was like, I'm just here to sleep. I just need it now. So, um, <laughs> Back off right. me. <laughs> Rachel begins a second session with Dr. Kamal. She finds him soothing. And whatever her plan was at the beginning, she's now treating this as an actual, her therapist. Because he really she, is. And she so she's it. not trying to find information. She's divulging personal info to him. And she feels that the sessions are helping her, even if he's a possible killer. Back to Megan. She and the man um, she was with at the time buried the baby that she accidentally drowned the next day. And then the man left her. After 10 days, there was nothing to eat in the house. So then she left. She never saw the man named Mac again. Kamal suggests she contact Mac to like close that door. She refuses. What if Mac tells Scott? When she leaves Kamal's home, a man passes her on the street, head down, earphones on. He knocks her to the ground. And as he passes, he doesn't even turn around to say, I'm sorry. Um, she's shocked. And when she gets home, she realizes that her hand is bleeding and that she must have wiped her mouth because there's blood smeared across her lips. Back to Rachel. Oh, and um, Rachel has spent the night at Scott's house. <laughs> Like, yeah, for real, it's for what real. you think. Whatever you're thinking happened, it happened. She barely that remembers happened. how it happened because, of course, she had been drinking. She just remembers that she wanted for one moment to be Jess and she wanted Scott to be Jason. The next morning, she looks around the room for uh, pictures of Megan. worthy again, I tell yeah. you. Mm -hmm. The next morning, she's looking around the room for pictures of Megan. There aren't any. The hairs on Rachel's neck stand at attention. Who sleeps with a strange woman in their marital bed only weeks after their wife is murdered? She, she got a lot of nerve for asking that question, okay? A lot of I nerve. I was asking it too. <laughs> Rachel walks to the street when a man approaches her. She sees Anna running to her house, running from her. And just like she ran away um, the night Megan went missing. What is this feeling? What happened that night? It feels like she can remember Anna running, running. And she remembers being afraid. Rachel does a phone call. It's Tom. He calls her Rach like he used to do back in the day. And it makes her heart flutter. They go for a drive and he asks her to be careful with Scott. Because see, Anna saw Rachel leaving Scott's house alone the next morning. Mm -hmm. mm. Anna told Tom and Tom is both concerned and a little jealous. And Rachel is thrilled. She promises to distance herself, though, oh, from Scott, because when goodness. she was with him, it felt like she was cheating on Tom. Mm. Back at Dr. Kamal's, this is her therapist now. <laughs> Rachel is telling him about a time when she woke up from a night of drinking and Tom wasn't talking to her. She couldn't remember why, 
of course. But he told her, Tom did, that she tried to take his head off with a golf club but missed. She felt horrible. But as as she passed the hole in the wall every day that the golf club left, her memories didn't return, but her emotions from that night did. And what she remembered wasn't rage or even anger, but fear. She remembers being afraid. She doesn't remember holding that golf club, but she remembers being afraid. Something happened that made her afraid. She then remembers more from the night Megan went missing. She remembers Anna running away like she did the other day when uh, Rachel was standing on Scott's porch. Um, But that time when the night um, Megan went missing, Anna was running and Tom picked Anna up in a car. But that Mm. can't be right because Tom said he'd been driving around looking for Rachel that night. And so then she's like all fuzzy. And then also she didn't have a baby with her. So why would they be out with the baby? So who was watching the baby yeah. while Anna was running into Tom's car? What, 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 what went on that night? So back to Anna. She saw Rachel again standing in front of their house alone, just watching Anna and Tom's house. Tom said he handled this. He said she wasn't. She was better. He even said she was acting sober. Anna thinks about how much she misses being a mistress and how Tom um, used to like she tell her not she to worry being a mistress. OK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She missed the irresponsibility and the rush of it all. Yeah. And she remembered how Tom used to tell her not to worry when they were messing around because she he would be like the thing with Rachel is she won't remember anyway. Even if she caught us, she would never remember. Besides, Ooh. I'm a great liar. Tom used to say. And he is a great liar. Ooh. Anna decided to phone the police. She's done relying on Tom to handle this. Mm. Besides, maybe he enjoys this like she enjoyed sneaking around with him back in the day. Maybe he enjoys being desired. Mm. Back to Rachel. She's reluctantly agreed to meet Scott again in person. Also, um, Mac was identified in the press. The, remember, Mac is the guy who um, Megan was with as a kid right. and they had a baby together. And yeah, so Mac was identified, but died of a heroin overdose years ago. So he's not a suspect. When Rachel gets to Scott's house, Scott is furious. The police have told them the truth about her. She never knew Megan. She's a lonely, pathetic specimen who makes things up, who ruins people's lives because she doesn't have a life of her own. Her phone rings while he's unloading this information and he sees it. It's a notification regarding her appointment with Dr. Kamal. He like, you <laughs> he crazy. He erupts. <sighs> Has she been talking to Kamal about Scott, about him? Leaking he stuff. grabs her by her hair, drags her up the stairs, and locks her in a room Mm. while he goes through her bag. He finds the weird note she used to take about him and Megan as she passed on the train each day. He drags her out of his house. Mm. Back to Anna. Tom said he talked with Rachel on the phone about the visits and calls, but he lied. He actually met Rachel in person and Anna's just found out she's furious. First, she thought she could... First, she's furious because she thought she could always tell when Tom was lying. She thought she was the only one who could tell. Second, why did he go see that troll Rachel? What is his deal with her? They have an argument, um, Anna and Tom, and he says he's leaving to go to the gym. An hour after he's gone, Anna finds something under the bed. It's his gym bag. Ooh. Inside it is a cell phone she's never seen in her life. Okay, what? She looks through the messages. <laughs> she looks through the messages on the phone. They're cryptic and go back almost a year. The messages are, are like, you know, I can't tomorrow. How about Wednesday? Stuff like that. The first message is from September. Evie was six months old at that time. Was Tom sneaking around with Rachel when Evie was only six months old? 
But Rachel is ugly. <laughs> this is really Anna's thought. Yeah. That can't be because Rachel is ugly and overweight and I'm so fine. <laughs> and Tom is happy with me. We're happy. So she calls the greeting on the phone, you know, the voicemail greeting. And she is shocked. It's not his phone. <gasps> it's hers. Ooh. Not Anna's, but a, another woman. Part three. Remembering to forget. And this is the final part. Okay. Back to Rachel. She hates her memory, her failed memory. She thinks back on the party they attended when her and Tom were married. She remembers kissing a colleague's wife on the cheek. And the woman said that they, you know, should get together again. It seemed all so pleasant. But apparently that's not what happened because when she woke up the next morning, Tom was like, I'm embarrassed. You yelled at my colleague's wife. You thought she was flirting with me and you yelled at her in front of everyone. And Rachel is like, but that's not how I remember it. And Tom's like, of course, that's that's of course, that's not how you remember it, because you don't remember anything. (sighs) And so Rachel's like, I can't trust my memories from the night Megan went missing because I can never trust my memories. She may not trust her memories, but she trusts her feelings. Everything is a lie. She saw Tom that night. He hit her. She saw Anna getting into a car with Tom. Only it wasn't Anna. It was Megan. Whoa! Back to Anna. Shocking. She takes the phone in her hand, Anna does, and throws it over the fence down by the train tracks. Rachel shows up one day when Tom's not at home. Anna has been contemplating ever since she heard that greeting on the cell phone she found. She's been contemplating taking Evie and going to stay at her sister's house, except the phone. She can't stop thinking about it because it has her fingerprints on it. And now Rachel is actually standing in her garden with Anna and Evie. Rachel is saying, we need to go. We. And to Anna, it's almost funny. Yeah. Anna, she says, coming closer to me, those intense dark eyes searching mine. Have you ever met any of them? Met who? His friends from the army. Have you ever actually been introduced to any of them? I shake my head. Do you not think that's odd? It strikes me then that what's really odd is her showing up in my garden first thing on a Sunday morning. Not really, I say. They're part of another life, another of his lives, like you are, like you were supposed to be anyway, but we can't seem to get rid of you. She flinches, wounded. What are you doing here, Rachel? You know why I'm here, she says. You know that something, something has been going on. She has this earnest look on her face as though she's concerned about me. Under different circumstances, it might be touching. Would you like a cup of coffee, I say. And she nods. I make the coffee and we sit side by side on the patio in silence that feels almost companionable. What were you suggesting? I ask her. That Tom's friends from the army don't really exist? That he made them up? That he's actually off with some other woman? Rachel, she looks at me then, and I can see in her eyes that she's afraid. Is there something you want to tell me? Have you ever met Tom's family? She asked me. His parents? No, they're not talking. They stopped talking to him when he ran off with me. She shakes her head. That isn't true, she says. I've never met them either. They don't even know me. So why would they care about his leaving me? There's darkness in my head right at the back of my skull. I've been trying to keep it at bay ever since I heard her voice on the phone, but now it starts to swell. It blooms. I don't believe you, I say. Why would he lie about that? Because he lies about everything. Rachel asks, do you think the baby was his and Anna can't even think straight. She didn't know about the baby. Rachel is desperately trying to get Anna to come with her. They have to leave. They have to speak to the police. Anna is refusing because Anna feels like I'm better than you. I can't be in the same position you're in. And all Anna can think of is he cheated on me. Yeah. But it's more than that, right? right? It looks like it's more than he just cheated on you, fool. 
So Anna is but refusing ref- and Rachel's yeah. face. Mm-hmm. So Anna is refusing and Rachel's face goes pale. She's no longer looking at Anna. She's looking at the window where Tom is looking at both of them in the garden. Back to Megan. <laughs> and this is a flashback because Megan is gone. Um, Megan, she wanted to start motherhood on the right foot with honesty. She, she told Scott, listen, I love you, but I've made mistakes. And from that, those few words, he like goes through the roof. He throws a photo, their wedding photo at her head. She runs upstairs and quickly packs a bag. He apologizes for hurting her. She's thinking um, for two now, she says, for my, me and my baby. So she grabs an old phone she hasn't used for months and she calls him. Him? Mm-hmm. Him is Tom. Mm. When they started, it was just a distraction to her. She enjoyed being wanted. That's it. But then she started believing they should be together. She became obsessed with him, she admits. And he began to avoid her. She calls again with the phone saying she'll come to the house. She doesn't care if his wife is there. She walks past Scott and out the door. She walks to that house but loses her nerve. She wants to get everything out in the open. She wants to be strong. But is she being reckless? She doesn't know. Maybe she needs to leave him and Scott. Maybe she needs to start again on her own. He says they'll go somewhere quiet in his car. She gets in the car and feels like she can see someone in the underpass he just emerged from. Okay, so back to Rachel. I saw you, she tells him. You think I don't think I I remember, but I do. You hit me in the underpass the day Megan went missing. You got into the car with her. I watched her go. Tom looks at Anna. You were drunk. She does this all the time. This time, I'll make sure she never bothers us again, he tells Anna. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So, I found the phone, Anna says. Don't lie to me. He's holding his daughter, and he goes over the details of him and Megan. He lays everything out on the table. Um, What they used to do, where they used to go. You both can be weak, he tells um, Anna and Rachel. The audacity. I had to look for ways to amuse myself, he tells Rachel. Now to Anna, though, he's consoling. (laughs) He's innocent looking. Anna is like, of course, give her to me. Talking about Evie, the baby. Um, Then she screams. He walks away from her, still holding Evie. Rachel walks out of the house, but Tom catches up with her, grabs her and drags her back in the house with him and Anna. And Anna looks at Rachel and gives her a sly, like, grimace, like, smile. So... At this point, Rachel is like, so is Anna on his side now? Like, what's going on? Okay. Back to Megan. She can't tell. (laughs) She can't tell. So back to Megan and the past. She's in the car with Tom. She's trying to think of the words to say. They get out of the car. They start walking. She tells him she's pregnant. You'd be a terrible mother, Megan, he says. She tries to scratch his face and he's laughing at her. I'm going to make you pay, she says. And then he stops laughing. Her mouth is then thick with blood. Now look what you made me do, he says. Back to Rachel. Creepers, creepers. (laughs) So they're all sitting in the house now. Everything laid out on the table. He's still holding his daughter. He's telling Rachel he was good to her. He lies to everyone, it seems, even to himself, because he feels like he was the perfect husband to her. He hands the child to Anna. Whew. And Anna starts feeding her. It's all very surreal. It's, <laughs> it's your fault, he tells Rachel. It's your fault because you tried to kiss me that night. Do you remember, he says, laughing? Then Anna laughs too. <laughs> what? 
like, that was like, you tried to do something, but you're ugly. Like, hey, you guys, maybe it's not about the way I look. Maybe this guy's a murderer. Okay, it's your yeah, fault. Settle down. <laughs> it's your fault, he continues. I needed Megan to stop talking, so I took a rock. I had to finish it. She was talking nonsense, so I had to finish it. Then I had to dig. It wasn't premeditated. It was an accident. And then he hits Rachel over the head with a bottle and tells Anna to take Evie upstairs. Now, Anna's mind. This is what I wanted, wasn't it? This is Anna talking to herself. She's nuts. What was she is? She was like, (laughs) what is taking so long for him to kill Rachel? (laughs) She's like, God, I mean, I do want this. He just. I mean, why he ain't done it yet? Good grief. What's taking so long? Kill that woman. Then she's thinking it must be hard for him because he did love her once. But then she looks at Evie and she's like, if this happens, I'll never be safe because he'll know that I know about not just Rachel, but about Megan. And so he'll never trust me. She goes downstairs and sees Rachel laying out on the kitchen floor. She sits down at the table with Tom and drinks a beer. (laughs) (laughs) He, <laughs> Tom then sends Anna back upstairs with the baby, but she doesn't walk upstairs. She walks out of sight, like around the corner with a phone in her hand waiting for the right moment. Now, our final hop into someone else's POV back into Rachel's. <sighs> Rachel comes to Anna saw you at the train station, he says, and I was riled up. That's why I did what I did. It's because of you, because my wife saw you. And so I had to knock you out. And then I saw Megan and she was talking nonsense and I was all riled up because of you. What, what, what am I supposed to do with you? He says, like exasperated. <laughs> You're just like one of those dogs, the unwanted ones that have been mistreated all their lives. You can kick them and kick them and they'll still come back to you, cringing and wagging their tails, begging, hoping that this time it'll be different that this time they'll do something right and you'll love them. You're just like that, aren't you, Rach? You're a dog. He slips his hand around my waist and puts his mouth on mine. I don't know if everything's in the same place that it was when I lived here. I don't know whether Anna rearranged the cupboards, put the spaghetti in a different jar, moved the weighing scales from the bottom left to the bottom right. I don't know. I just hope, as I slip my hand into the drawer behind me, that she didn't. You could be right, you know. I say when the kiss breaks. I tilt my face up to his. Maybe if I hadn't come to Blanham Road that night, Megan would still be alive. He nods, and my right hand closes around a familiar object. I smile and lean into him, closer, closer, snaking my left hand around his waist. I whisper into his ear, but do you honestly think, given you're the one who smashed her skull, that I'm responsible? He jerks his head away from me, and it's then that I lunge forward, pressing all my weight against him, throwing him off balance so that he stumbles back against the kitchen table. I raise my foot and stamp down on his as hard as I can, and as he pitches forward in pain, I grab a fistful of hair at the back of his head and pull him toward me, while at the same time driving my knee up into his face. I feel a crunch of cartilage as he cries out. I push him to the floor, grab the keys from the kitchen table, and I'm out the French doors before he's able to get to his knees. I head for the fence, but I slip in the mud and lose my footing, and he's on top of me before I get there, dragging me backwards, pulling my hair, clawing at my face, spitting curses through blood. You stupid, stupid witch! Why can't you stay away from us? Why can't you leave me alone? 
I get away from him again, but there's nowhere to go. I won't make it back through the house and I won't make it over the fence. I cry out, but no one's going to hear me. Not over the rain and the thunder and the sound of the approaching train. I run to the bottom of the garden, down towards the tracks, dead in. I stand on the spot where, a year ago or more, I stood with his child in my arms. I turn my back to the fence and watch him striding purposefully toward me. He wipes his mouth with his forearm, spitting blood to the ground. I can feel the vibrations from the tracks in the fence behind me. The train is almost upon me. It sounds like a scream. Tom's lips are moving. He's saying something to me, but I can't hear him. I watch him come. I watch him. And I don't move until he's almost upon me. And then I swing. I jam the vicious twist of the corkscrew into his neck. His eyes widen as he falls without a sound. He raises his hands to his throat, his eyes on mine. He looks as though he's crying. I watch until I can't watch any longer. Then I turn my back on him. As the train goes past, I can see faces in brightly lit windows, heads bent over books and phones, travelers warm and safe on their way home. Time passes. The houses are now vacant. When the police arrived that day, Anna and Rachel were sitting side by side on the couch. Rachel was soaked in blood, Tom's blood. Anna handled everything. She told the officers everything. It was self-defense. Rachel acted in self-defense. Anna says she tried but couldn't stop the bleeding. She cries. None of the officers can look Rachel in the eyes because they've been like putting her down, calling her a busybody. However, all of that was true. <laughs> all of it was true. There was yeah. no lies told. Um, stuff came out in the paper about Tom eventually. He had told both wives that he'd been in the army. Turns out he was never in the army. And also his parents, they didn't cut him off like he's been telling people. He tried to get them to remortgage their home to give him money. And when they refused, he cut them off. He lied for no reason about everything. He's a liar. He's just good at lying, right? Yeah, he's good at being bad. So nowadays, Rachel is looking to start a new life somewhere else. She's been sober for three weeks, her longest dry spell in years. She's proud of that. She thinks back on when it all happened, when she drove the corkscrew into Tom's neck and turned around to see Anna running toward them both. Anna dropped to her knees over Tom and Megan's thinking, well, it's too late to save him. But then she realized Anna wasn't trying to save Tom. She was driving the corkscrew deeper into his body. The mm. end. You want to take a break? Yep. And we're back. Alexis, what did you think of The Girl in the Train by Paula Hawkins? Okay. Um, and would you recommend this it was book? Inter- <laughs> uh, I did like the book. But towards the end, I felt like, could you just kind of hurry up and tell us who actually killed her? Mm. I really think I got bored. I, I got bored mm. towards the end of the book. I wanted it to be like, hurry up already. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but overall, it, but overall, I'd say it was it was well written. Uh, I like when stories are told kind of like the diary with the date and the with the date on there. I like when stories are told mm-hmm. that way. I like to keep up. I feel like it's easier for me to keep up and keep facts together. So that that piece of it, I do like. And then I also um, liked 
hearing only the women's viewpoint. Oh, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Pretty cool to have that take. So um, I like it. I, like I said, I, it was a part where I got bored in it, but I would recommend it. It was a it was a good read. Um, yeah, it was a good read. It's not like the best book I ever read, but definitely a good read. And so what I was, was lacking in your opinion on for it? I I just was tired of them going back and forth towards the end. <laughs> yeah, because you wanted it to, at that point you were exasperated. Like get to the point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had several possible, a couple possibilities of who the murderer could be. It, it, Did you it guess, ever guess time? Um, I guess time was involved early on, but you I did. Uh huh. And that's only because she Im- implied that uh, Megan implied that she had been to his apartment before, to his house before, and so. But um, yeah, she'd been to the house because she was the nanny. Uh uh-uh, uh, it was different. It was said completely different. So I knew it was different. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I time, I tagged time early on. But even down to the end, I was thinking that maybe, uh, what's her name? Rachel. That Rachel had actually done something in her drunken stupor. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I would read it again. Okay. How about you, Kari? Would you read it again? Would you recommend it? Um, would I read it again? I really enjoyed it. First of all, I felt like it was a fun book to sink into, especially on a, like a rainy day. And it had some intrigue and suspense. Um, I agree with you that toward the end, although I, I feel like I'm good at, at seeing the twist come. And mm-hmm. I've, I've heard people say that the biggest problem with this book is that the who did it is so obvious. I never guessed time. Oh, really? I didn't. And Megan in the beginning says something, too, about Tom passing her, like on the street in a car and, and looking his head at her. Down. He put his head down. Well, go I, ahead, go I ahead. Mean, I with felt, the part you I remember. specifically what it was, but I, too, felt like, well, what happened with them? What was that about? And it was never devolved. It, it, so this is the thing. Um, this big reveal, there was no build up to it specifically. Nope, nope, nope. And that I felt like was missing in the book. I felt like there weren't enough enough clues connecting Tom to Megan. And even though we're in Megan's head, she never mentions Tom. She mentioned him like ambiguous, ambiguously, ambiguously. Hold on. Ambiguously. She makes like an ambiguous reference to Tom in the beginning. But then she's thinking about all these deep secrets and what's going on in her life. And to never even think about her obsession with Tom. Once it was revealed that she she admits to have being obsessed with him, I felt like it didn't. It wasn't consistent with the story. If oh, that makes oh, sense. Now that's interesting because I feel like the I do feel like the clues about Tom were there when he oh. she looked over at them. Tom put his hand down. It's kind of like Tom was ignoring her. But Anna was like, oh, wench. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then when she talked about that door. Looking at that door, maybe I should go there. I'm not sure. Because mm-hmm. I knew she wasn't friends with Anna. So it had to be time. So I thought the time um, thing was pretty obvious. I was just kind of waiting for it to just fall out. Just, again, spit it out already. So you caught it. Yeah, I didn't catch it. I didn't catch it. And I felt like she's going on and on about the therapist. But she's someone who doesn't like to lose. And she essentially lost with time. So it should still be a big part of her thoughts. And she never thought about it. 
<laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't yeah, know. I get that. I get that. But um, I have no real complaints about this book. I enjoyed reading it. And that's what matters most is if you enjoy it, I think. Right. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I liked it from beginning to end. Um, there's this thing that books do. And I think it's when authors want their books to become movies or when they get a movie deal, when they write the book and they create these scenes, scenes are hard to write. They are scenes. Um, and by scenes, I mean, cause there are a lot of scenes in a book, but scenes where there's, um, the big reveal has happened and now the villain must, um, be clear to everyone. It's like, <laughs> uh, remember the, uh, what was it? Yeah. The woman in the window. Yeah. That yeah, whole yeah, fight yeah. at the end. Oh, yeah. it was it was for me. It, was, it wasn't written in the best way. <laughs> yeah. You were like this. He definitely wrote this so that it could be a movie. Exactly. And yeah. I've kind of felt that with this, too. Once Tom is looking at them, um, looking at Megan, talk to um, not Megan. When Tom is looking at Rachel and Anna from the window inside the house, that was where the suspense stopped for me. Then they like just oh, all sitting in the kitchen. And like you said, it was kind of like dragged out and like uh-huh. he knocks Rachel out. And it's too, you've, you've revealed it. And now I'm like, what is this? I don't know. Spit but it anyway. out. Yeah. Spit it out. So I would recommend it though. Uh, it was a quick read, I think. Yeah, it was. You I know? can agree with you there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it was fun. So yeah. mm-hmm, I enjoyed yep. it. Just that little... For me, it was just that little part where they drug it out and it was it was boring to me at that point. I was like, I think I'll agree with you 100 percent on that one. Just the little part at the end. Mm -hmm. Overall, it's a a good book. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. What are we reading next week, Kari? Prayers for the (laughs) Stolen by Jennifer Clements. Hey, you got it. You got it. That's your pick. Yeah. (laughs) I can't wait. Thanks for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us because we love you too. We do. We love you guys. If you have enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, read read something. something!